Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by Wick Realty. Wick helped me buy and sell a home at least twice now and in a city filled with realtors and real estate companies, they truly are one of the best. What I really love is that WIC is invested in seeing Amarillo flourish economically and socially for all groups of people. So if you're buying, selling, building, if you're looking for an investment property, if you're a first-time homeowner, talk to Katie WIC or one of her outstanding agents. That's WICRealty.com, W-I-E-C-K. And as part of this podcast's partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I also want to give a podcast shout-out to Purpose and Passion Boutique in Wolfland Village. Learn more at PurposeAndPassionBoutique.com. Today's guest is Jimmy Lackey. He's the president and CEO of Kids Incorporated. And if you grew up in Amarillo or if you have kids of your own right now, you're already familiar with Kids Inc. This youth sports organization is truly a groundbreaking organization. It, they celebrated their 75th year last year. I, I played Kids Inc. sports back in the late 70s and early 80s, and I coached my own kids and their friends throughout their young sports careers. It, kids Inc. is just ingrained in the fabric of childhood in Amarillo, even more so now than it was back then. And Jimmy is a product of this area. He's led Kids Inc. since 1995. I'm really excited about this episode, but one note, we started the interview on my back porch, and then it got way too noisy in my alley for us to continue, so we had to move inside. Um, you'll hear the audio change. Uh, but Jimmy helped me pack up all my recording equipment and make that transition. So I appreciate him. Here's Jimmy Lackey. Jimmy Lackey, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, absolutely. I, uh, I know that we have a lot to talk about. I know that we have uh, just gotten past a big milestone year for Kids, Inc., and, and certainly we'll talk about that. But I like to start with each guest just kind of uh, establishing you here in the area. So tell me how you ended up in the Texas Panhandle in the first place. Well, I'm Texas Panhandle born and bred. I uh, was born at the old Northwest Texas Hospital down okay. on 6th Street. My mother was actually in the, worked for an OBGYN, Dr. Loki. All right. And uh, she was a surgical supervisor at the hospital. I tell everybody she helped deliver me. And so uh, we, I was born here. We moved to Dumas when I was five. Uh, my dad coached and taught up there, and my mother became a school nurse. And uh, so we moved to Dumas and grew up there. And then the fall of 1980, I went to West Texas State University at that time. Right. And never left. I've okay. been here in this area right here since that time. I got two degrees from WT. I worked there for 13 years and before I went to Kids, Inc. And so this is home. And uh, we were talking off air. You know, you get me very far from here, and a couple, three days is enough for me. Yeah, I need, you're ready I need, to. Yeah, I need to get back home. This is just, this is my comfort zone. And the people here uh, are, are just one of a kind. When, when you were a kid, uh, thinking about you know going to college, uh, pursuing a career, did were you ever one of those kids who thought, okay, I'm going to get out of here, I'm going to go do something else, see see something new? Or you know, there's a long story behind that. My dad was a coach, and so I grew up in athletics. I grew around sports, and uh, I got my right eye put out with a BB gun when I was ten years old. Oh, okay, and so little shift and change as as I got older. I, it, it didn't bother me so much after the initial injury and. You know, I was in grade school, and, and it didn't affect me that much in grade school. But once I got to junior high, uh, that that seventh grade year and football started, my dad being a coach, uh, Coach Rankin had us out there, and I was there for about a week. And believe it or not, I was a skinny, fast kid at the time and could throw a football. And so Coach Rankin had me playing quarterback. And a week later, I'd had enough. I got hit from the blind side from okay. people I didn't know as well, you know, went to different elementary schools. And I was getting hit, and I didn't like it. <laughs> And so I went and talked to my dad, and I just told him, I said, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't like getting hit from the blind side. And, and, but I played golf, okay. and I'd always played golf. My dad ran a swimming pool at the golf course when I was young, so I took up golf at an early age and missed football and baseball really bad. Those were really my two favorite sports, but took to golf and really thought I would go somewhere to play golf. And, and my dad just really pushed WT on me. He got his degree there. He went to LSU and played football. And came back home and, and finished his degree at WT. And boy, am I glad he pushed me there hmm. because the best people 
the circumstances where I'm at today, I wouldn't have been without that experience at, at West Texas. And so um, here I am all these years later, I'm still here. And uh, I just, the panhandle is home, and I just I don't know that I could live anywhere else. What, what were your degree plans or, or your career ambitions yeah. when you went to WT? When I was 18 years old, my dad said, so what are you going to do? What are you going to major in? I said, I'm going to be an athletic director. And he just rolled his eyes and said, my gosh, have I not taught you anything? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just didn't know that all these years later it was going to be for four-year-olds through 12, 13-year-olds. Yeah, it's a little bit different yeah. category yeah, of but, athletic you know, director. Whether that's karma or just preconceived notions, uh, little did I know that this is where I would end up. But I always wanted to be involved in athletics. Honestly, I thought I'd probably just coach and teach. Not that that's a just thing, because there are some great teachers that have uh, molded me. Um, but I just thought I'd follow in my dad's footsteps and become a coach and, and go down that path. And uh, had an opportunity when I was a junior to go to work for West Texas State and West Texas A&M University once we changed the name. And there's a story behind that. But uh, you know, I, they gave me an opportunity to go to work in housing, and I worked in housing for six years and ran the alumni office for seven. And uh, that changed my whole trajectory of where I, where I am today. And honestly, I thought I would be at WT forever. Um, I still bleed maroon. I'm still very involved there. But this opportunity came up all these years ago, and a friend of mine was the director of United Way, Susan Gilmore, and she said, Jimmy, I really think you ought to talk to this group. And, again, I'm glad I did, really glad I did. Before we get to that part, um, you know, being at WT, working with the alumni office, I mean, obviously you were in a, a fundraising capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wonder how, you know, that sort of prepared you for, for what you're doing now. What kind of foundation you gained, you know, working, working for a university, for a big institution, but, but also relying, you know, on the generosity of local people. Sure. Well, first and foremost, they gave me opportunities at a very young age that not everybody gets. Uh, I was 27 when they hired me to run the alumni office, and uh, they took a chance on me, and I took advantage of that and worked with some really, really strong individuals in the development area. Uh, and I tell everyone to this day, I went to the Betty Howell School of Development. Betty Howell was our, became our development director, and anybody that's been in this business for any length of time knows Betty, and she was one of the best at it. And so I had the opportunity to really tutor under her and learn some of the tricks of the trade with her and how to treat people, how to do follow-ups, and how you just go down the road uh, taking care of your business. And then, also, honestly, some of that was innate in me because I, I'm a people person. I care about folks, and uh, I'm an open book, and I, I can bleed on the on the talk, and I can bleed on the keys when I type, and I can bleed on the phone when I'm talking to you because I'm going to tell you how I feel. And, and again, I'm a, I'm, I'm a very much open book, and so... Um, that was a huge brick in my favor when, when I interviewed with the folks at, at Kids, Inc., because they really didn't have a fundraising program. They mm-hmm. didn't have uh, any kind of development program whatsoever, and so we started talking about that. And uh, I remember the chairman of the board said, Jimmy, I see you here. You don't believe in fundraising. Can you explain that? And I said, sure. I said, money comes and goes. You know, somebody gives you 100 bucks, we're going to spend it on something. I said, but friends stick with you. I said, I'm a friend raiser, hmm. and I believe in friend raising because friends are two-way streets. That doesn't mean they're always going to be able to give you money, but if you can establish a relationship, uh, add credibility to what it is your, your mission and scope is for your program, and they continue to support that when they can, you know what they're going to do? They're going to tell others, and they're going to encourage others to give. And that's how you build a, a cadre of donors and support systems for your organization. And the other thing, too, is the organization has to have its own credibility. And uh, that's what I think we've been able to do at Kids, Inc., is reestablish its identity, mm-hmm. uh, remind people that we're not just an organization that's 76 years old now, like a 76-year-old human or building or, or anything that's 76. We don't want to be taken for granted. We've got to stay on the cutting edge and, and do the things that continue to make things uh palatable for the current uh, target audience that, that we market to. But yeah, those those fundraising development tricks that I've learned, I learned from some really good folks back in the day, and they've, they've served me well. Okay, so uh, Jimmy and I were just doing our interview on my back porch when a neighbor decided it was a good day to mow the yard. <laughs> and we made a quick scramble to set back up uh, inside. 
so that's that should explain the sound difference. But Jimmy, you were talking about you know the the work that you did at WT, and and what I was about to say right before we got interrupted was that you know it it sounds like you arrived at Kids Inc. and, and I know it was around the fiftieth anniversary of Kids Inc. when you started. And you had a different mindset about fundraising, and, and you came in with some ideas that, you know, were new to the organization, which is odd to think about an organization that's already been in place and has been successful for half a century. Uh, but tell me a little bit about that process when you came into a new job, came in with new ideas, and, and set about to transform something that was, was already doing you know, at, at least pretty well. Sure. Uh, programmatically speaking, Kids, Inc. was in a great place. Numbers were great. Uh, volunteers have always been exceptional. There was just a lack of infrastructure. And if you remember back in 1995, the Internet was coming about. Uh, websites were becoming a thing. When I left WT in 1995, we didn't have email. Hmm. So think about that. Wow. That's not that That's, long ago. You were right on the cusp of it, I yeah. imagine. And but. so uh, I was working on my master's degree when I left WT in 95. I actually finished it summer 96. And had finished all my core classes in my in my discipline, and so I had to take two classes outside of the education department. And so they could be electives as long as they were uh, graduate-level classes. And so they were going to teach an Internet class, and I'm kind of geeky that way. And so I called uh, Roxy Pranglin, who ran Continuing Ed at the time, and I said, is there any way I could take this class on a graduate level? Mm-hmm. And she said, if you're willing to build a 10-page website by code during this course, in addition to the other coursework, we can do that. I said, I'm in. All right. And that's how I built Kids Inc.'s web, first, okay. first website. Middle by, of the 90s. By code. And so ask me to do it by code today, and I'd just laugh at you. And, well, and, and that would have been HTML code yeah, exactly. at that time. It's all different it's now. exactly what it was. The idea that there was an... Internet class, you yeah. know, uh, just tells you the uh, the the times that yeah. that were, and there weren't very many people in the class. No, no, <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's you know, it's those things that I just felt like, you know, sometimes small towns behind the big town, and we were a little behind the 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 eight ball on some technology issues. There weren't any computers in the office when I went there. Oh wow, there were two computers that basically did nothing. They didn't keep any. They didn't keep any of the registrations or anything like that on a computer. They were all with paper. Which is so interesting because with Kids, Inc., you know, at any time there are multiple sports, multiple grade levels, multiple teams within each grade level, you know, 10 10 kids on every roster. That just seems like so much of an administrative undertaking and for it not to be computerized, even at a time when it it conceivably could have been. I mean, you could have had a... You know, one of those early iMacs or, or something like that to use. If you look at the job description that they put in my hands back then, it was really a to-do list. It wasn't a job description. It was more of a to-do list. The main thing being they wanted out of that little 3,400-square-foot building at the corner of 8th and Adams. Uh, we had eight parking places. We were at the corner of a one-way intersection. There were wrecks all the time right there at 8th at, at, uh, and Adams, just north of where Washington curves into Adams. and So... Yeah, they wanted they wanted us to get out of that building, and they had uh, pictured a a large fifteen court multi purpose facility. And at that time, Emerald ISD was renting gyms for eight dollars an hour. Well, you can't build a building for eight dollars yeah. an hour, and we needed out of that building. We needed to be in a better location. We needed to be more accessible to all of our constituency because we are a melting pot. We serve the whole community, and we needed to be. But, you know, just better located. And I stumbled across this empty grocery store at 27th and Osage. It wasn't going to be able to have any kind of courts in it, but, man, it was going to have storage, parking, ease of access, just south of I-40, right by Sam's. Everybody knew where Sam's was. Mm -hmm. And so we took a look at it, and I had a friend who was on our board named Dick Graham, and Dick said, we can can do this. And, And... uh, Dick took that on as his personal project. He was our general contractor. He never charged just one single dime for his services. We renovated it. We raised every dollar it took to get into that building. Uh, we we set a half a million dollar capital campaign and uh, we ended up raising about three quarters of a million. 
and got to add some things to it that we were going to be phase two, phase three projects mm-hmm. that got to be part of phase one and, and really just completed the building all at once at that time. And so, you know, we moved from 3,400 square feet to 32,000 square feet. Wow. And it was a perfect location because it was seven minutes from Emerald ISD's main office, seven minutes from the east side of town, Canyon River Road, Dead Middle, Highland Park, Bushland, Dead Middle, uh, ease of right off I-40. And so we just couldn't have found a better spot. And it continues to be a great facility for us to this day. It's just a it's a wonderful uh, use of that space in that, in that strip center. Did you have a perspective on Kids, Inc. before you applied there i mean you grew up in dumas i i don't imagine you were playing you know kids we inc. Didn't, sports there no we didn't participate in kids inc athletics at all and so uh, i mean i played sports in in, in our youth programs in dumas but no, you know i am one that when susan started talking to me about it actually truth be told i was the loaned executive for the university to united way okay back in the day so kids inc was a partner agency at the time and so i knew something about all the partner agencies because i had done it for several years um, but i'd never been to their office uh, never met any of their staff knew the previous director because he was actually a professor at wt once upon a time and so that's about all i knew and i knew that they provided youth sports programs and in my mind, they had some all little office out at John Stiff Park, for all I knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the answer to your question is really no. But once um, I made contact, Susan said, I'm going to have you talk to one of the members on the search committee, and I did that. I started doing some homework, and uh, this is a true story. Uh, I can't remember if it was my first or second interview, but I kept referring to Mr. Farley, Cal Farley. And one of the six members on the search committee kind of looked at me and said, you, you, can, you keep mentioning Cal Farley. Can you explain why you're doing that? And all the other heads turned and looked at that individual. And I said, well, my understanding is he founded this program. <laughs> and one of the members on the search committee didn't even know that. Hmm. And so that's that homework. And that's that running an alumni office and knowing where your roots are and where you came from and the historical value of your program and they were in the middle of their 50th anniversary. And I asked them, what are you doing for your 50th anniversary? And they just looked at me. They didn't even know. We're just trying to hire somebody. And I'm right? like, oh, my gosh. If this was, you know, we do 50-year anniversaries every year for graduates and for the 50-year class. And so that's a big deal to me. And and we started talking in those terms and bringing, I said, those are your folks that are going to support you the most. And we've got to bring those folks back in the fold, whether they coach uh, third generation or whatever the case mm-hmm. may be, we've got to bring a lot of those folks back in the fold in addition to just the programs that we offer. We need to bring that support system back and, and put a base in because look what Boys Ranch has done through the years. That's what they do. They have built the largest, the very largest base of support anywhere in this in, in our area. And we're never going to be on that level, but that's how they did it. And Mr. Farley uh, was the master at it in the back in the day, and those people are are loyal to them, and uh, that's what we want. And our staff, you know, I, I we'll probably get off on another subject because I, my staff is is the key in the cog here. They've been with me for so long. Our average tenure on our staff is fourteen years, and wow. so um, my staff, I get to come do these things with you and others on, on in the media, but my staff's back at the office doing their job and making sure we do what what's best for kids every day. They're just they're they're the best. They're, I love them. They're some of the best friends that I have, and um, they truly, uh, it, their intentions are genuine. Uh, we deal with some old soreheads sometimes. Yeah, uh, uh, just, youth sports is, yeah, is yeah. known for occasional soreheads. Exactly, and so it doesn't matter if it's the collegiate level or down to us. It's you know you've got those people that think they know more than than you do, and I don't know how man runs the grocery store. I don't know how man runs the bank. Uh, but my staff knows how to run a youth sports organization, and they're 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 as good as anybody at it. You mentioned Cal Farley, and and I know that that there's, you know, certainly a a deep and and long history about how uh, he and a, a couple other of his contemporaries, you know, founded Kids Inc. Uh, along with him founding Boys Ranch, the Maverick Club. I mean, he he had such an impact on uh, on youth uh, back when when he was living here in Amarillo, but. Tell me a little bit, you know, just in broad strokes about the history of Kids Inc., like sure. where it came from, how it started, and then what sort of it's become from from that original sure. idea. Well, Mr. Farley uh, started the Maverick Club in 35. Uh, Boys Ranch came about in 39. 
And then in the fall of 1944, he asked his friend, Mr. Duggar, to go speak to the PTA at Glenwood Elementary School in October of 1944 about starting a youth sports program at that time in southeast Amarillo. And so Mr. Duggar went in to pitch the idea to the PTA. He was about sixth on the agenda. When he walked in, he took his hat off like a gentleman would and asked the piano player if he could set it on top of the piano and uh, did his spiel. And they told him, they said, we will make a decision and you can come back to the December meeting and we'll have an answer for you. Hmm. Well, he left that hat on purpose because he noticed that piano player was pretty cute and didn't have a ring on her finger. And so he went back the next day to pick his hat up. Long story short, that March, they were married. Okay. He, and, he and Mrs. Duggar were married. I like the idea that there was a piano player at a PTA meeting, exactly. which seems I mean, it's so just nostalgic. Isn't yeah. that nostalgic? And so he goes back in December. They approved the program. And so on the first Monday of January, 1945, he took a bobtail truck from the Maverick Club and picked up 11 kids at the at, at uh, Glenwood Elementary School, and they went to the Maverick Club to play basketball with Mr. Dykeman's kiddos at the Maverick Club, and they did that every day. Hmm. They crossed the river at, at uh, the Canadian River to go to Boys Ranch to play basketball games on the weekends out there. Um, and Mr. Duggar was with that group of kids until the spring uh, when he got transferred with his company to Enid, Oklahoma, and they moved. Okay, And so that's when... Mr. Dykeman took over and ran both the Maverick Club and Kids, Inc. out of the Maverick Club. And uh, he did that for many years till 1959. So that's kind of how it all got started. Uh, but Mr. Farley had asked Mr. Duggar, and then Mr. Duggar moves back, goes and bees the el- he became the elementary principal at uh, Boys Ranch. He goes in the fall of 66. Mr. Farley wanted him to come be the elementary principal. And Mr. Farley had his cerebral hemorrhage January of, seven, mm. of 67 and passed away at the church service that day. So Mr. Duggar told me all those years that had he's, he, his terms, if Cal hadn't asked me then, I probably would have never ended up at wow. Boys Ranch. But he retired there in 82. Of course, Mr. Dockman ran the Maverick Club till 86. And so those three were so instrumental But uh, in, in, in the early beginnings of what we did. And Cal Farley himself is just so fascinating because we think of him as this great you know, educator or advocate for children, but like he ran a tire shop and was a radio host. I mean, yeah. he, he was, he yeah. was such a, a character, but like had such an ongoing legacy uh, that you don't always expect. Well, that's how he and Mr. Duggar met. Mr. Duggar was listening to the radio one day and Mr. Farley had his noon show, the one, uh, the one at the one stop does it tire shop over on sixth street. Uh, yeah. And so he heard a familiar voice. There was a guy on the radio with Mr. Farley going by the name of Stuttering Sam, and he was a character. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Duggar goes, I know that guy. So he makes his way down to the tire shop and goes in. Well, sure enough, it was his friend Cecil Hunter from Oklahoma, who ultimately was the best man in his wedding. Okay. And then he was introduced to Mr. Farley. They became very close. And lo and behold, not too long after that's when Mr. Farley said, hey, we need to we need to do something. We're at war. We got a lot of dads not here. Moms got kids rambunctious. We need to make good use of their time. And that's how it got started. Yeah. I, I remember, I guess the quote was something like, if a if a boy can chase after a ball, he's going to stay out of trouble. That's right. Or give him a, a ball to chase after, something like that. Yeah. Um, one of the things that is so interesting to me is that, you know, Kids Inc. is in its 76th year. It's such a part of the fabric of childhood in Amarillo. I mean, you mentioned generational uh, coaches. I I played all the sports you know, in the 70s and 80s when I was a kid. I've coached all the sports when my own kids were of age to play it. It just feels like very natural. This is what you do in Amarillo. But it's not, like Kids Inc. is not necessarily something that has an equivalent in all the different communities of our size. It's, it's something that's special here in Amarillo. And I, I wonder if you could kind of talk to that, of, of what really it has become uh, and, and what sets it apart. Well, I definitely think it became a model for a lot of youth sports programs in the area. And case in point, there's a Kids, Inc. in Demet. There's a Kids, Inc. in Hereford. There's a Kids, Inc. in Guyman, Oklahoma. There's one in Woodward, Oklahoma, that are not affiliated with us. Uh, we actually have a business in Hereford called Hereford Sports and Wellness, but we're not involved with Def Smith Kids, Inc. Okay. And a lot of people don't know that. We get a lot of phone calls. It feels like a franchise kind of thing, but exactly. it's not necessarily a- But I think when people started seeing the Kids, Inc. model in Amarillo, they said, well, let's do that in our own community. And it wasn't trademarked. It wasn't uh, anything that was protected back in those days. And so several years ago, 
I felt like that was something that we needed to protect, not to go in and do any kind of cease and desist orders with anybody locally, but I don't want it popping up in Lubbock or Dallas or San Antonio or Oklahoma City. That's our program, and it was born and raised here. And, you know, I tell our staff all the time, we're just the caretakers for today. Um, There's a note in my desk drawer to the next person that comes along. I've been here 26 years, so someday I'm not going to be there. Mm -hmm. And I only told them three things on this note. I said, don't ever let them tell you that's how Jimmy did it. Run this place in your own way. Run this place like you own it. But at the end of the day, understand you don't own anything. Hmm. We're a nonprofit agency. So my knickknacks, my diplomas, or my little pictures of my wife and family, that's the only thing that I own at Kids, Inc. I don't own any part, share. I don't get some big severance package when I walk away. That's the beauty of nonprofits, and that's the double-edged sword of a nonprofit when you're a long-term employee. You don't have some big uh, retirement plan that's going to walk out the door with you unless there's a big 401k package in some major big company. And those are few and far between in the nonprofit business. Yeah. So, um, but our, you know, that's that's how it's set up, and that's the way it is. And we're just the caretakers for today. But you're right; uh, we're in fourth generation, and we've got grandparents that coach their kids. And um, not this last year, but the year before, Bobby Elliott, who was a Roundup coordinator when I went to Kids Inc was on the sideline with his son who was coaching his son hmm. at our food bowl. And it's, a, you know, those make great stories because there's, there's Bobby and blaze on the sideline coaching their his Bobby's grandkid and blaze's son. And there's three generations right there in, in one snapshot. Yeah. And that's good stuff. That's just good stuff. You, you can, you can draw a line from some of the most successful athletes to come out of, you know, Amarillo in this area, almost all of them got their start, you know, playing T-ball in kindergarten or basketball in third grade. It just provides an opportunity to introduce those sports in like a a legit competitive environment to kids. You know, when I first went to Kids Inc., club sports weren't very big. And obviously the evolution of club sports have changed the landscape of, Mm -hmm. of, of the youth sports industry. And it is a very large industry. If you, you've got a kiddo that played basketball, y'all did some traveling, my girls traveled with volleyball, and uh, you know a lot of parents put a lot of time and effort into that uh, for those kids to have those additional opportunities. We're the starting point, mm-hmm. and once they reach that third, fourth grade age, that's when they kind of start honing in on on things. I'm I grew up a, a coach's kid that we were expected to play everything. We played football, we played basketball, we played baseball or golf or something in the spring ran track. You know, now these kids have to f- focus on a sport at such a young age. I just it goes every, against everything that yeah. I've ever was raised to do, and and for a lot of reasons. One, I think that they can get burned out early. I think a lot of parents put a lot of uh, hope and dreams in that that sometimes don't come true. And then just the physical aspect for a kid using the same muscle series all the time uh, versus being a little more diverse, mm-hmm. uh, you'll see more injury-related uh, matters come up with a kiddo that's not as well-rounded or not as multi-sport faceted in this day and time than you did when we were kids. Nobody got hurt when we were kids unless you fell and broke an arm or a leg. We just went and played. And it's because we were doing different things and using different muscle groups. So there's a whole lot of reasons why I wish kids could participate in more multi-sport type programs. But that's just not the lay of the land today. And uh, coaches are expected to win, and they're expected to win at all, all, uh, not at all costs, but they're expected to win when they're hired. And uh, so when they're relying on 16, 17, 18-year-old kids or you get to the collegiate level and you're babysitting 19, 20-year-olds yeah. that are you know, free from home for the first time, that's a tough gig. And you want those kids focused in on that sport and you want those that did it at an early age and have developed the skill set for that. So. And that, I mean, the way you describe it is exactly what happened um, you know, with my son, Owen, who you know, played at a high level for Amarillo High, has just graduated. Um, but you know, first and second grade played all the sports, yep. did everything, figured out pretty quickly. He didn't like t-ball and softball very much. Yep. He didn't like flag football very much, um, but fell in love with basketball. And and we got to a point where you know the club coaches started asking him to play with them. I realized that my limitations as a basketball coach with second graders uh, were very clear to me, and and I had to step away from that point too. Um, and but but the love that he developed 
for the sport that he ended up giving so many years to was because he played it in Kids Inc. And, yeah. and he just figured out this is my thing. At the end of the day, this is my mantra, if you want to use that. If that's what the kid wants to do, get after it. Mm-hmm. If that's what the parent wants the kid to do, wrong antidote. Right. Uh, it's it, it's not going to work out most of the time. It's just not going to. Somebody's going to get disappointed, and it's usually that parent. And they're going to spend a lot of money uh, that they could have just paid for college with. That's a fact. Um, make sure it's something that the kid really wants to do. Like I said, you know, I was a, my dad was a coach, and I was very fortunate when I went into him in seventh grade and said, Dad, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And he said, I'm, I'm shocked that you haven't come to me sooner. Hmm. I don't know how many coaches would have done that for their kid. Yeah. You know, let's, let's continue. Let's see if we can get, you know, my dad was, if that's not what you want to do, go find something else that you want to do. You're not going to sit around the house. But you go find something else you do. Put your time into to golf or basketball or whatever you want to do. And, and uh, basketball, I was horrible at. Uh, so uh, I didn't want to run track. That was boring. And and uh, I learned to play golf early and took it on and, and, and you know, played a couple of years in college and uh, still play golf to this day. My wife plays golf. So it's something our family does as a group. And uh, my son and one of my son-in-laws plays and my youngest daughter's boyfriend uh, plays collegiately. So golf's a big part of our life and uh, they all play more than I do. But it's it's still something that we can do. I couldn't play football today. I couldn't play baseball today. And so you know, God has a way of sending you down the path for a reason, and I'm I'm, I'm just fine where I'm at. As Kids Inc. has evolved, um, you know, alongside the the youth sports world with with club teams and and it becoming more competitive earlier. Tell me about the value that you think local families get from it. And and I ask that question not just thinking of the kids because obviously there's a lot of value for the kids, but also for their parents. I mean, there's there is a th- I think, at least this was my experience, uh, I gained a lot as a coach mm-hmm. um, of, of my kids' teams, my, my kids' friends' teams. That's how I met you know, all of my son's friends. Oh. Um, t- tell me about some of the things that, that you kind of see in that realm. Well, most likely you made friends with a lot of their parents. Mm-hmm. Those become lifelong relationships. You know, I, I like to tell families that take advantage of one of our games to take the whole family. That's one hour... Uh, that you can spend, number one, the kid on the field feels that support system in place. Number two, you get to visit with their contemporaries, parents and grandparents, and uh, you may make some of the very best friends you'll ever have the rest of your life by taking that advantage of that opportunity to be around. And uh, your kiddos, siblings, make their friends that way too. And it's it's just opportunistic for the family as a whole to branch out and most importantly at the end of the day support that kid that's on the field or the court and there's there's just a lot of life lessons involved in that that you just can't always get doing other things and uh, I'm just a big believer in and supporting your kiddo and Lord I remember when my daughter my middle daughter came in after eighth grade and she played volleyball and basketball and she wasn't the best, but she was mean, and she was a little hustler. She fought for whatever she needed to, and she comes in and tells us she's going to be a cheerleader, and we're like, oh, my gosh, no, not cheerleading. We'll have to go to everything. <laughs> and uh, she said, nope, that's what I'm going to do, and that's what she did in high school. And, you know, we went to soccer games, and we went to basketball games, and we did it all uh, because we wanted to be there for them. And uh, not all kids have that, Jason, and, and that's that's why our coaches have such a – Tremendous opportunity to be an adult mentor to young kids in this day and time because they need that adult mentorship more now than ever uh, in the world that we live in. And so for those kids that don't always have that at home, man, one of our kids' ink coaches can play a big role in their yeah. life for them. And that's that's something that we talk to our coaches about a lot. Well, speaking of of the world we live in, I know that you, know, you were getting ready to celebrate uh, a big 75th anniversary year <laughs> at the beginning of 2020. Um, and it, it obviously it proved to be a difficult year to celebrate that. I, I wonder what the impact was uh, of, of COVID and the shutdowns on Kids Inc. itself. Because I mean, obviously, you know, you're not you're not a money making operation. You're not mm-hmm. banking money year to year. And and to have sports shut down so quickly, uh, how did how did you guys react to that? Well, I can remember the first hint of it, like in February. 
them talking about a virus overseas and really not taking a lot of heat in the conversation. And then I went to the Lone Star Conference basketball tournament down in Dallas mm-hmm. in early March. And we didn't, and we won, the, the men won the tournament and the girls made it to the regionals. And we didn't know if we were going to have regionals the next week because of this. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, uh, it's affecting them. It's affecting us. And kudos to the NCAA because they were the first ones to shut anything down. They shut March Madness down, the biggest right. event, the biggest mecca of all sports events in the in a Which year. Which for a lot of people, that was the tipping point. Absolutely. We like, oh, okay. You bet it was. This is a big deal. And, I, you know, from somebody that works in the sports industry, I'm uh, so proud of the NCAA for stepping up and saying, we're going to shut this down. And until we know more about it, we're not going to put anybody at risk. And as hard as that was, because we had regional tournaments, my wife and I had been to the national tournament with the men at WT the year before and looked like we might have had another shot. You know, it all came to a halt. And on March 20th, we closed our offices and I sent our staff home and we worked from home for whatever work there was. And we had half a million dollars in revenue out the door. Wow. We issued $120,000 in refunds for sports that were supposed had to start. Had already been paid for. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, we're, and I'm, and for the first time in my world, I'm thinking, oh my gosh. You know, I've got 13 mouths to feed here. I've got nine in Hereford and three in Elk City, and I'm I'm a little nervous. And uh, I should have known better because, again, we're going back to those friend-raising things. We had a lot of friends come to our rescue, and uh, a lot of dollars came in to help support our program during that time. And and we 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 have had some donors that have left money in in estates that we put in a foundation, and we don't use those dollars uh, except for capital projects or emergencies. And so we knew we had that in reserve if necessary, and and we paddled our way through COVID. Uh, we got back up and running in September. We had our fall sports, and then we were going to do boys basketball and second round of volleyball. We got the first weekend of play in, and then the school district yanked the gyms out from under us. Yeah, yeah. And again, we issued $70,000 in refunds. And didn't know when we were going to be back up because now winter's here and everything's indoors. It got real scary in the got ball. real scary. And so, uh, again, we made it through. Uh, there was the Wesley Center and a couple of churches that were willing to allow us to use their gyms. And, you know, we put COVID protocols in place. And most fortunately, we own our own indoor soccer arena. And so we were able to continue playing there with very different look in their we only allowed two people per per person to come in. Uh, our adult leagues, they don't have many people come watch them, so we were able to continue those. Um, instead of playing on four fields for our recreational indoor league, we played on two. So you'd play on court, you'd play on field one and three mm-hmm. at nine o'clock, and then we'd play on two and four at ten, and we'd sanitize bleachers and everything on fields one and three. And so a lot of that was going on, and. We made shifts as best we could until we could get back outdoors in the spring, and numbers started dropping, thank goodness. And, uh, you know, today, our numbers right now, we just got all five sports up and running uh, for this batch of bunch, and we're way up. We're up over 19's numbers, and it's simply because parents were ready for their kids to be able to do something. Absolutely. And so I don't know that normal will ever be normal again uh, the way we used to know it. But it sure feels good right now to be back in operational mode and feel like we're fully functioning again. It really feels good. How do you how do you think about the future of Kids Inc. as an organization that I mean, obviously, will need to continue to evolve as sports evolve, as different things become more popular. I mean, how do you look toward the future of an organization like this with such a deep history? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I'm, I mentioned earlier we have an we have offices in Hereford and we have offices in Elk City, and those are very different, diverse communities. And there's different ways of doing things there. Um, there's a tax program, tax base. They have a sales tax in Elk City that allows them uh, to put money into quality of life matters. We've convinced them to put five and a half million dollars into our two five plexes over there. We have a five plex for baseball and a five plex for softball. They turfed them, fully turfed. Hmm. They're building us a thirteen and a half million dollar activity center right across the street. Wow. So. Again, a one-cent sales tax that they have available to them that we don't have available here. But they have a community group that chooses programs to do. They hired us in 2015. They've seen what we've been able to do. They believe in us, and so they're putting money into our programs. We've got people from Amarillo going to Elk City every weekend to play baseball and softball. Those facilities are unreal. We need those here desperately. Uh, 
Uh, I'm working on it. Uh, we're going to find a way to get some facilities here. Uh, it's hard for the city to do it because their budget's just strapped. Uh, but there's some people locally that I think are willing to step up and help, and we've got a plan, and I've got a group of people working with us right now. And uh, I hope that in the next six months you're going to see some some things happening. If, and if not, you know, it won't be from a lack of trying. Uh, but we've got to improve some youth facilities around here. Uh, we've got to go in the direction of turf. I'm, I'm a huge proponent of the turf for a lot of reasons. Uh, the maintenance part of it being number one, it's just low maintenance. We just did a $1.3 million project in Hereford. We built three acres of turf, has a regulation soccer field, has two flag football fields on it. We can play t-ball. Anything that you can do on turf, we can do yeah. out on that facility, yeah. and it's beautiful. And it's new to Hereford, and they're loving it. And it's adjacent to our indoor soccer arena there that we built in 2014. So it's really made it a nice athletic complex there. We need that kind of thing here. And so that's my charge and my that's kind of my personal mission, you know, in the later years of my career. And I don't have any – I have no uh, plans to retire anytime soon whatsoever. I love what I do. Uh, my wife will retire soon, uh, probably in the next couple of years. She's a principal and been in the education business for a long time. That's a tough job. And uh, that's probably the toughest job there is right now with COVID and everything Absolutely. else. Uh, teachers and, and administrators in the school business probably have one of the toughest jobs around. Uh, but Kim will have all of her years in here in a couple of years, and she'll probably retire. Uh, but she knows that I'm not going anywhere. Because I, my dad was 78 years old, still teaching high school when he died. My mother was died too far too soon at age 64, and she was still a school nurse. And I'll probably end up like them. I'll be working at Kids, Inc. the day I die. I love what I do. I love the people I work with. And when you go do what you do and you enjoy it, it's not work. You know, and I've got to be busy, so I might as well be doing something productive for, for the community through a, through a project like Kids, Inc. And I've been doing it for 26 years. And if the good Lord would give me another 26, I'd take it. This episode of Hey Amarillo is brought to you by my friends at the WT Enterprise Center, which a couple of weeks ago celebrated its 20th year of helping local entrepreneurs build great companies. I spent several years as a mentor with the Enterprise Center. I'm also an entrepreneur myself, and the support and expertise they offer is invaluable to this community. Whether you're starting a new business or if you're hoping to take your existing business to the next level, the experts at the Enterprise Center can help coach you through every step in the process and connect you with the right resources to address any problems you might have and grow your business. Learn more at WTEnterpriseCenter.com. Okay, I'm back with Jimmy Lackey of Kids, Inc. Jimmy, this is part of the show I call 8 Straight. Uh, 8 Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon on the WT campus. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Very much so. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes at least eight interactive exhibits about oil exploration. Learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, so 8 Straight, I'm going to ask you 8 Straight questions. These are many of the same questions I ask other guests. Uh, Your job is to answer in as much detail as you want. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit uh, from the institutional perspective of Kids, Inc. I'd, I'd like to hear kind of personally from you. What's one thing that 2020 revealed to you about local people? Both personally and professionally, um, people's personal rights. Uh, mask orders became a big controversial issue. The vaccine itself is somewhat of a controversial issue with some folks. And, um you know, I, I think that we live in an incubated area here. When you see things on the national news, they don't always necessarily apply to us here in the panhandle because it's we just kind of live in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my perspective. Uh, but COVID brought about something different because it affects everyone, and it affected everyone that we know, uh, here, there, far away. And when when you're told you have to do something in this day and time, there's a lot of people that don't function well with that kind of uh, directive. And, you know, when we had to start programs back up and people had to wear masks to come in the school gyms or we required masks in our indoor arenas, there's sometimes it got ugly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think it's a personal right whether somebody chooses to wear a mask, but I also think it's a, a business's right to determine whether they want people to wear masks in their facility. And so I see it from both sides. Yeah. You know, I would prefer not to wear a mask, but I did. Mm-hmm. As soon as they gave me an opportunity to get a vaccine, I was there. I've got friends and people that don't want it. I, man, that's, I got no problem with that. That's your choice. And, but personal rights in 2020 really became 
a big deal around here. And it, it's interesting to think of it in the context of youth sports too, because you know when a kid's in that environment, you know they learn to follow the rules, they learn to be coachable, uh, they learn to listen to authorities. You, you want know, them like to. All those, yeah, you yeah. want them to. All those things, you know, are are really good kids or good good characteristics for kids to learn at that age. And then you see, like, how does that, you know, how does that affect you as an adult? What kinds of things yeah. will will you when, apply that when to? When your mom or dad starts arguing with the person at the gate or the at the entrance to a facility, letting them know they got to wear a mask and they're pitching a fit, the kid sees that. Mm-hmm. Or the parents who are complaining at the refs all the time. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. That's we could do another hour on <laughs> there's that. There's a there's a lot of thorny issues about authority. Yeah, we and, we need officials worse than anything, and we've beat them up so bad yeah. that nobody wants to do it anymore. I totally understand that. What does this area have too much of? Wind. Yeah. <laughs> too much wind for me. You know, that's the high plains, and I've grown up with it, lived with it all my life. But, man, when it's days on end, we've had some of that here lately, you know, and when it's days on end, it gets old. Mm-hmm. But the wind and the dirt, uh, that's too much for me sometimes. Especially when you're sitting through as a parent or a kid playing a, you know, in a track meet or soccer baseball game that's well that that's prevailing southwest wind out at rick klein park and nothing uh, blocks the dirt parking lot yeah. to the south and it all blows at you during the game that's miserable yeah and uh you know again going back to those facility needs there's there's some there's some reasons why we need some facility upgrades what does this area not have enough of personally i'll say rain okay yeah, professionally use sports program <laughs> facilities <laughs> sometimes <laughs> but, the rain gets in the way of those yeah, uh, those programs but we need rain and it's you know, we've been fortunate here recently to get some rain, but uh, typically speaking, in the last couple three years, it's been it's been uh, droughtish, and we we need more rain around here. I was just went, we went to Dallas to see our our middle child and and our son in law here this this past weekend, and you know it rained and the dust doesn't blow down there. It was a little breezy, but the dust doesn't blow because they it's just different mm-hmm. and. That's the only thing I like about that area, the heat and the, the humidity. Uh, no, thank you. But the, the dust not blowing around, that's a, that's a nice break. Uh, I wish we had more rain. Okay. I'll take Kids, Inc. off the table here for you. So other than your own, what's your favorite local nonprofit? Yeah, you know, that's probably an easy one for me, and I'd have to say Coffee Memorial Blood Center. Okay. When we had our third child, my wife had some complications, and long story short, had to have close to 30 units of blood. Wow. We, almost, we almost lost her. And uh, if that blood supply hadn't have been on hand that day, um, I'd have had three daughters with some really bad hair days with their dad. Hmm. And so uh, we host a blood drive every year through Kids, Inc. Uh, called Kids, Inc. Donor Days. And we involved all 26 uh, counties, uh, school districts. And we have prizes that go to the, to the schools. We do large schools, medium schools, small schools, private schools, elementary schools, middle schools. And there's some cash prizes that they can win for for blood drives, we, we we gain a lot of blood supply through that don't, uh, that blood drive each year. We've been doing it for about eight or ten years okay. now, so that's real personal to Kim and I, and uh, we uh, we're, we're really committed to that. You've uh, you've talked a little bit about golf and about your eye injury. I, I wonder what was your favorite sport as a kid? Maybe maybe had that not happened, like what what were you into? F- football and baseball, okay. without question, were my favorite sports. Um, just loved it, loved playing it, loved watching it on TV. I love college sports. College football is probably my one of my favorites, and then March Madness. I mm-hmm. love March Madness, uh, but yeah, football, football, baseball, second, and then taking up golf, and that's a lifelong sport. But yeah, when I was a kid, I was eat up with football. All right, I just that's all I wanted to do till I got my eye put out. What's your favorite local restaurant? You know, I'm not fancy. The Malcolm's hamburger is hard to beat. Oh, okay, uh, I don't know if anybody's ever paid attention, but the whole time you eat that hamburger, it's hot. I don't know how they do hmm. it. That's a good burger. I, okay. I don't need anything fancy, but their chicken salad sandwich is pretty good too. Malcolm's is is an underrated establishment. I I think this may be the first time it's been mentioned on this podcast. Um, but yeah, I used to go there all the time as a kid. You know, yeah. for the ice cream and and stuff like that. It's one of those nostalgic places mm-hmm. to me, and uh, and it's crowded all the time too. Yeah, good. And so I, uh, but I love their burgers. If I can go every now and then, I'll get a burger there. Okay, what's your favorite building in Amarillo? You know, at nighttime, the Santa Fe building's tough to beat. It's beautiful, and it's inside and out. Mm-hmm. It's such a historical uh, unit here in the in the community. And I, you know, I, I I'm old enough to remember the old stores downtown, the Fedways and the White and Kirks, and and those those stores when they were downtown, and they were beautiful in the day too. And they've changed, but the Santa Fe building has pretty much stayed the same. It has, and 
So, you know, if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick the Santa Fe building. Okay. And when was the last time you visited Paladura Canyon? You know, we we try to go to the play every summer. Uh, that's just something that Kim and I enjoy doing. Uh, but it's been since before COVID. Okay. Uh, that, since we've been out there. And uh, I hope we can get back and get, get back out there soon. Uh, I know the recent rains, uh, they've had some flooding issues out there, but... I like to visit Paladura Canyon. My dad was was a geology major and spent a lot of time out there as a kid, and so I learned a lot from him growing wow, up. Yeah. And but we love to go out to the play and and uh, spend time out there when when we have the opportunity. But yeah, we at least try to make the the play once a year. Yeah, and the Texas Outdoor Musical is back this this summer. Yeah, so, so that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, Jimmy, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So, what's one thing that you would want listeners to know about or to experience in this area? You know, particularly those that might be listening that aren't from here, take a look at the people around here. Listen to their tone when they visit with you and welcome you to our community because it might be an invite to move up, step up, and and come join us here. These are some of the best people in the world. And I, and we talked about this early on and off air before we started this deal. I'm, I'm just a big proponent of the Panhandle, Texas. The people here are second to none. We know how to treat folks right. We take care of one another. Uh, we're still small town. And I was talking to Lance Launert the other day about, we were talking about six degrees of separation. And I told him, I said, I think in the panhandle, six degrees of separation is about two. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're pretty small. It's we're a pretty more small, We're pretty small town around here. And, and like I said, you know, get me very far away from here for any length of time and I need to get back. And so uh, kudos to the people in this area. Um, I'll be 60 in September, and these are the folks that I've been around all my life, and there's not any other group of people that I want to be around. So if I had to endorse anything, it's the people of the Panhandle. Okay. Jimmy Lackey, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for your time. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Jimmy for the interview and for being flexible when we had to change uh, our location. You can learn more about Kids Inc. at kidsinc.org. That's kidsinc.org. And I really do encourage you to get involved as a parent, as a coach, as a volunteer. I think it's worthwhile. Thanks to Angelina Marie for editing the show every week. And I want to say thanks to this week's sponsors, Wick Realty, Panhandle Plains Historical Museum, and the WT Enterprise Center. This podcast exists every week because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Heyamarillo's executive producers include Jason Burr, Jess Heredia, Priscilla, Barbara and Jim Witten, Katie Linger, Josh Wood, Corey Burns, Wilson Lemieux, Wes Reeves, and Patrick Burns. This has been episode 208. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.